This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. Back once again with my co-host, Brian Sobin. How are you? Doing well, Al. Happy to be here with you, as always. Yes, uh, we got uh, plenty to cover, uh, as always. Uh, later on, we're going to be hearing an interview I conducted some t- uh, time back that you can read in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated with Absolute Ricky Starks, the FTW uh, champion, uh, a fun chat we talk about um, the FTW title and some comparisons between uh, him and, and the man who made that title famous, uh, Taz. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't don't see a whole lot of similarities, uh, but he's pretty upfront about, uh, about that and how, you know, he's been criticized over the years for maybe not uh, being uh, kind of hard-edged enough uh, to, to wear that title. Uh, but uh, a real insightful take uh, for a guy that you and I have been watching for, for years since he was in the NWA. We talk a bit about that, right. too, and a guy who has a huge, huge upside. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then we're going to talk some some odds and ends. It is sort of post-WrestleMania season, kind of a reset. Um, and we thought a good uh, time to talk about some non-WWE stuff. I was able to check out uh, Impact Rebellion in person uh, last week, and it was my first kind of real good look at impact uh in a while and uh i got some some takes uh, to share um we'll also talk about uh aw and uh this forbidden door promotion they've got coming up with uh, new japan and uh some ring of honor uh, we haven't really talked about aw's rebooted version of ring of honor so uh, a lot to cover we'll get into it in just a moment uh right now do want to tell you about the latest issue of pro wrestling illustrated it is uh, the June issue, uh, and this time uh, the plug is going to come with a bit of an apology. Uh, as I understand it, um, print subscribers uh, still have not gotten the issue. We've run into some uh, issues, some delays. We very much apologize uh, for that. We're going to uh, look to um, do something for our subscribers uh, to take care of them, make up for the inconvenience. Um, I believe you could still order the one issue um, and uh I've certainly seen it on the newsstands. I don't have it myself yet uh, in the mailbox, uh, but there's certainly a lot in here uh, to cover. Uh, let's see, I actually pulled up the index. Uh, on the cover is uh, Becky Lynch in the hot seat. Uh, once again, uh, one of the big stars in wrestling, sitting down uh, with Kristen Ashley to talk about her career. Uh, I mentioned uh, Ricky Starks. My feature on him and uh, Team Towns is in this magazine. Uh, a fun uh, conversation with... NWA uh, champion Matt Cardona. I think we'll talk a little NWA too if we we have a chance here. Uh, he talked with our Jason McVeigh. We got features on Nikki Ash on Shane Strickland uh, on Make Speedball Mike Bailey, who I got to see in person for the first time at this Impact uh, event over the weekend, and on uh, Atlanta wrestling promoter uh, Baron Black, uh, who sat down with our uh, Candice Cordelia Smith to talk about uh, some stuff they've got in the works uh, there in. Um, the Atlanta territory. So uh, a whole lot here to check out. Go to pwi-online.com uh, and uh, pick it up. All right, Brian, let's talk some wrestling. Uh, why don't we begin with Impact Wrestling, uh, which I got to see them over the weekend, this Impact Rebellion show uh, here in Poughkeepsie, uh, New York. 
Uh, I I haven't gotten to see a whole lot of Impact for a while. I don't get Access TV, so this is my first kind of uh, upfront exposure. I used to go to TNA shows um, fairly regularly when they'd come to Westbury or um, they used to do the old Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium. Last time I saw them was in uh, Staten Island Yankee Stadium. This was about five years ago, uh, but never saw them in Poughkeepsie. And uh, I, I partly wanted to go because it was a big show and, and uh, a big match in uh, Josh Alexander and Moose. And part of it was about going to, to Poughkeepsie, the Mid Hudson Civic, Civic Center, which is uh, a place with so much wrestling history. And I, I think I'd only been there once before. You ever uh, see wrestling at the Mid Hudson Civic Center? No, I never have. You know, I've been I remember when they used to run raw there all the time. And it was kind of like I, I was bitter about it because I used to go to the Manhattan Center. Right. And and they stopped doing Manhattan Center and started doing Mid Hudson Civic Center because it was bigger, obviously. But I've never been inside. I've been, you know, to Poughkeepsie. I've been outside the building and I kind of like, you know, like took some pictures and stuff because of the history yeah. there. But I've never actually been to a show there. No. Yeah, growing up in the '80s, it was like uh, one of these sort of like ubiquitous wrestling arenas. I feel like every other TV uh, was uh, taped there. I mean, it was one of their their go tos for sure. Even you know, predating Raw, um, just for kind of the weekly television, it, it was uh, a, a regular stop on the tour. So uh, yeah, I, I got to see them for the first time wrestling the first time there. Back in 2004, actually, it was a house show. And uh, I remember this was like weeks before WrestleMania 20. And I made the drive up with some buddies. And you, you didn't even know a card or anything um, like that. And we ended up getting the WrestleMania main event that they were trying out, I guess. And it was a, a Benoit, a Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. Uh, and a few days before, you know, it was the biggest match of the year for WWE. Uh, we got a sneak preview, so that was cool. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, Poughkeepsie, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it feels a little bit like this, this area that sort of time is forgotten. Um, and I think that's the case for that arena too. It's just sort of like, uh, stuck it. And that's sort of the charm of it. I mean, I, I don't know that they've done much to it since, you know, the 1980s. I think they actually changed the name. Uh, but yes, it, it, it has that old charm, um, which, you know, with, with so much, uh, uh, of a push for these new arenas, it's sort of nice being in some of these old buildings and I'll get to do it again, uh, next week. WWE is, is doing SmackDown at the Nassau Coliseum and I, did you just go to the Nassau Coliseum for something? Yes. I went to the Nassau Coliseum in February to see Elton John on yeah. the, on his farewell tour there. And I, I hadn't been to the Nassau Coliseum in maybe like 15 years or more when it was the old, I don't know. Did they, did they renovate it? Or they did. did they yeah. totally, so you hadn't seen the renovation. Yeah. Right. But did they totally rebuild it or it's no. just a renovation? No. Yeah. I always joke that it's like one of those, uh, they did like one of those bath fitter deals when you don't right. want to like, replace a, <laughs> your whole bathroom. You just get a shell and you put it on top of your shower. That's sort of what they did with the National well, Coliseum. <laughs> because I went to, when I was working at WWE, I went to the the show they did there that was like the goodbye show. I don't know if you yes, remember I was that. There, sure. Yeah. And I couldn't understand why they bothered doing all that if the arena was just kind of going dark for a while. Like, they made it feel like they were just demolishing the place. I have but, a shirt, yeah, that it was like yeah. the, the last time farewell to Nassau Coliseum, yeah. Right, like that. which yeah. I remember when they did it in New Haven, too, when I worked there. And that that arena is gone. There was New Haven used to be a regular stop. One, yeah. There's yeah. nothing there anymore? No, nothing. It's gone. Really? 
Yeah. The other one that growing up I'd hear so much uh, about and I didn't get to go until well into my adulthood, I think I was already uh, in my 30s and a dad, was the um, the Westchester County Center. Did you ever go to uh, shows there? So I want to mention the Westchester one. I'm glad that you brought it up because I, I hope you could hear me over this. Yes, you're fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because the uh, the Westchester, what was it? What was the full name of it? The Westchester County Center, right? Right. Westchester, it was in White Plains. Yes. It actually still is. That place was incredible. I loved going there. That was the place where, in the old days, Arnold Skolin used to run that arena, and it was one of the regular WWF stops going back to the even the days of Capital Wrestling. In fact, I was curious, so I looked it up one time, and the, the first wrestling show they had there was in the 1930s, and it was headlined by Strangler Lewis. And it's, and it's Wow. This, it's gorgeous. George has been I there. The building was that old. Yeah, wow. it, it goes back to the 30s, and it is pretty much the same exact yeah. thing. That's and great, it, yeah. Have you? Uh, I I was backstage, and that was crazy because it's kind of like um, an. It's not even an arena. Right? It's like a theater or like an auditorium, mm -hmm. and, and the room has a stage on it. Even though the wrestlers mm -hmm. don't, the you the, the they put the ring in the center of the room. But I think in the old days they might have even put the ring on the stage. But when you're backstage you feel like you're in another time. Like, like mm -hmm. you, you feel like you're in like a vaudeville theater or something. It's, <laughs> it's a crazy feeling. And I remember I had to go there to do interviews and stuff and I'd be back there and I could almost put myself mentally in the, in, in the, uh, with the idea of like, I'm backstage at a wrestling show, you know, like it, in the sixties, you know, it was just such a strange feeling. Uh, aesthetically, the way everything looks, especially backstage, because they haven't really done a lot of things to change the backstage area. That place is awesome. Uh, the, the the Westchester County Center in White Plains. I yeah, love they've, it. They've got the um, the concession stands kind of inside the the arena, so not in the lobby, but but like you know, you can. It's like actually in the bowl. Uh, it's almost like you know, like a roller rink or something. Mm -hmm. the, the way it's laid out, and uh, yeah, I love these places that have that that old charm. And, you know, I love the new arenas too. I mean, I just got to go uh, to the UBS arena, which is kind of the newest one here in New York on Long Island. And I think AEW is there in a couple of weeks and, and I hope to go. And, and, you know, that's also true because everything is state of the art, brand new, very, uh, sort of comfortable and convenient, but, uh, nothing beats like these old uh, arenas. And, and there's so few of them, you know, uh, even as Coliseum, uh, which where they're running, uh, next week, SmackDown. Yeah. Even they've been renovated. It's an old building, but, but, uh, it's gotten kind of a fresh coat of paint, but as far as like these really old buildings, there's there's not a whole lot of them. And yeah, I love Westchester County Center too, and it's kind of a, a a neat little area, an easy drive. And one of these places where growing up, and I grew up in the Bronx and then uh, in Queens, you, you know, again, you'd you'd hear them plugged all the time. And then um, you grow up and you realize they were right there. Why wasn't I going? Like, why, why did my parents take me? You know, uh, it's, it, you know, for when I was in the Bronx, it might have been a half hour drive if, if that. And uh, it's cool. It's, it's really cool. And maybe this isn't that much um, of a big deal for folks in, in the rest of the country, but, but living in the Northeast and in kind of the, the tri state area, WWE, going to see a WWE show. Um, or a wrestling show in, in general, if you're if you're not talking about kind of uh, independent wrestling, is in a a larger kind of arena. So seeing um, you know the big stars 
in something like a, a Mid Hudson Civic Center or a Westchester County Center is neat because there really isn't a bad seat in the house. I mean, you're you're uh, right there. Another place that kind of reminds me uh, of that, and um, it, it gets wrestling shows even less frequently, is the the theater in Madison Square Garden. You ever see mm. wrestling in there? I did. I I saw. It used to be called the Paramount. Right. I saw um, when WCW came to New York City. Yep. They did a couple of shows at the theater at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I went to the one in 96, and it was wild because it was like the main event was Ric Flair versus Randy Savage with Bruno San Martino as the referee. And I know it was supposed to be Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan, I think, but they it didn't pan out. But, I mean, they had – Pedro Morales was there, and, and, and like, it was a great show. They had – the you know, Rey Mysterio versus Conan, I think, or something like that. I mean, oh, my God, it was so cool because as a New York fan to get to see WCW live yeah. was very rare. Um, I think that I think that was the only time I, I've been there, but I've been there other times. But I think that was the only time I saw uh, wrestling there. I don't remember that show. I thought I went to all the WCW shows there. There yeah. was one in 93, I think, which was the first time that they ran there. Yes. With um, Vader and went. Sting, right? Yes, Vader and I was Sting. at that, and it was it was really cool because again, growing up watching wrestling in Nassau Coliseum, Madison Square Garden, uh, it was it was a more intimate feel. So uh, it it was really cool. I remember seeing the Hollywood Blondes on that show, and then um, it must have been '96, maybe '97. I remember it was shortly after the NWO came out. Um, they ran a show there, and I remember the Outsiders being on that show, um, and just maybe four or five years ago, NXT ran that building uh, when, when Nakamura was like the top guy there. Uh, and uh, I went with my kid and we had like the best seats in the house. We were, you know, front row ringside. Didn't uh, they, try a, to, they tried to get a AAA show there a couple of years they ago. They did. It fell through, right? No, the, the they tried to get a AAA show in the arena in oh, Madison right. Square Garden and right. that fell through. And so they moved it to um, the theater. And a buddy of mine went and, and said it was a good show. It's a cool place to watch wrestling. All these places that are a little smaller, um, are, are neat. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, that's a roundabout way of, of talking about uh, Impact Rebellion. And, and uh, even for the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, this was intimate because they, they only had uh, seats on, on the floor and they blocked out everything else. I remember the Mid-Hudson Civic Center being bigger than the Westchester County Center. And um, this certainly wasn't the case. So uh, a, a little bit eye-opening. I mean, remembering seeing um, TNA in... Not bigger arenas, but 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 certainly bigger audiences uh, than that. And if you remember, you know, back in 2010, 2011, they ran some shows in the UK where, yeah, know, I think they drew like 10,000 people. Yeah. Oh, it was very much uh, the major leagues. And, I, and this is my first time, I think, seeing kind of the Anthem rebranded uh, impact. And uh, it, it's a little uh, jarring seeing what what it is now. I mean, it, it is... Uh, you know, very much scaled down, you know, it, it very much has an indie vibe, uh, no frills. Uh, but I but I thought they put on a, a really good show um, and they have a lot going for themselves. And as far as some criticism and uh, I, I think, you know, when you, th you think about like the stink of TNA for, for all those years and, and honestly, you know, uh, I guess you can. The competitor would be like late 90s, early 2000s WCW, but TNA uh, at its worst was 
about the worst wrestling I ever saw. I mean, the the, the Dixie Carter. I got some <laughs> some trouble with PWI for talking about this uh, years ago, but but I mean now they're far removed from that. Um, so I, I, I feel uh, at liberty to talk about it. But th- that I guess you're talking around ten years ago, two thousand. Uh, uh, 10-ish to 2000, whatever, 13, 14-ish. Uh, it was terrible. It, it was it was an abysmal uh, wrestling. And, um, you know, they they kind of hit rock bottom and then came back up with, with um, uh, Anthem and Scott Demore uh, running the ship. And I think there's a, a lot to like about it. Um, but not even passing judgment on this, but I was there with my, my wife and kids. And uh, obviously they're not... Uh, impact fans so everybody who would come into the ring i'd kind of try to give them the explainer who this is and match after match after match after match it was that guy used to work for wwe he got <laughs> fired and then he came right. to impact uh and and honestly i mean i i think that might have been the case for not even exaggerating two-thirds of the roster maybe three-quarters of the roster um and so i think that's an issue you know and um that's not to say that uh, you you can't hire former WWE wrestlers who were uh, uh, misused, and uh, actually had uh, in, an interview with Billy Corrigan that's coming out the next issue where we talked a lot about this because clearly that's part of the NWA's model uh, too, and and Billy Corrigan very much defends it as kind of um, good business that if if there are good veteran talents sitting at home who um, still have something to offer and were misused it's smart to to have them as party roster and i think that's the case and i i think uh there's a lot of people who that applies to an impact but not everybody um i do think there are some people who still feel like you know you th- they only work here because they used to work for wwe and i, I won't name names to um you know, get any kind of trouble but i think that's the case with some folks uh that said i uh again i think that match, Moose and Josh Alexander um, in in the main event, was one of the best matches I've seen this year. It, it was fantastic. Uh, it felt really major league. I thought the build for that match uh, was really good. They built it over six months. It got very personal with uh, Alexander's wife and kid and Moose uh, uh, attacking her at an independent show. Uh, and so even in, in this small setting with a relatively small audience, it had very much a big match feel. And uh, a you know these are kind of the, the the wrestling happy endings that you live for you know the good guy went in the end and he's celebrating uh, with his kid in the ring the kid's dressed up like dad he's got the wrestling singlet and he's hugging his wife everybody's crying it was a great great moment I thought fantastic uh, stuff and Josh Alexander is exactly the kind of guy they should be uh, building around um, but have you seen Impact much in in the last few months and and what's kind of your take on it. Well, like you, I don't have access, so I, I do follow them, and I'm able to see clips online and things like that, and I, I I follow them in that way in YouTube and stuff. But you know, I haven't followed them on a regular weekly basis since probably Destination America or one of the various other incredibly obscure cable channels that they wound up on. And you know, the thing is, and I've I've said this, and I, I said something to this effect on Twitter, and you know, I had uh, impact people coming to its defense. And I was not saying this as a knock. The interesting thing to me is, yes, the quality of what they put on TV a lot of the time seems to be quite good. And there's a lot to recommend it. And so I would never, I, in fact, it's better than it's been in a while, but it's so odd to me that, you know, the observer just released ratings numbers, you know, kind of year over year in the last issue. 
And looking at the impact ratings, it is so jarring to me that and 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 almost baffling that they're still on the air. And I don't say that in the sense of like they shouldn't be on the air. Just from a business point of view, even with Impact owning them, I'm thinking, you know, they're doing numbers now on a weekly basis for Impact that you could fit everyone watching the show into like a uh, you know like a WrestleMania setup in a live in a live building and still have seats left over. That's kind of scary, and you would have to think that if they were any if they were anywhere else but an Anthem-owned network, there's there's no way they'd still be on the air. It, it's it's crazy to me that even Anthem themselves would, unless you know it's cheap programming or whatever, to do that. But um, they are like the company that just will somehow find a way to survive no matter what. It's it's crazy to the point now where the audience is so tiny. And again, like I said, that's not, and that's, I'm not knocking the quality of the product because it would be great if more people were watching it, but their audience is so small right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, there was a time where impacts numbers were higher than what WWE is doing now for, for raw. I mean, they were yes. getting $2 million, 2 million of viewers uh, a week. Now WWE's numbers at the time were so much higher that, that back then it didn't look that impressive, but you right. know, any wrestling company would kill to have two million of viewers um, now. And, and that said, the 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 impact product now I'd say is much better than than it was then. It was a lot more major league looking back then. I mean, I think that's one issue. They have scaled down uh, a lot. Uh, and you know, at that show, what the the next uh, big pay per view they're promoting is is Slammiversary, and this is a big one for them. This is twenty years. I mean, we're we're marking twenty years of uh, TNA slash Impact in just a few weeks here and as you talked about it it's sort of amazing that that they've stuck it out but you know it it sur- surviving and thriving are, are, are two uh, very different things and and it is sort of kind of confounding to figure out what what the business model uh is there because it it's um you know and and to their credit and i think it's great that that they do this i mean they, they give wrestlers um a place to work. And, and as I touched on, sometimes um, wrestlers with a lot of upside get let go by some of the bigger companies and and can find work and impact. And that's great. One guy who I saw on that show, uh, Jonah, what did they used to call him in NXT? He was a North American champion. Big guy. Oh, God. Uh, it escapes me. Yeah, I, uh, I know who you mean. Yes, I don't remember. <laughs> but I thought, I, I saw that match. Uh, he fought uh, Tomohiro Ishii. And uh, I saw that match get some bad reviews. I really enjoyed it, and and I thought he looked great. I mean, I thought here's a guy who who could be a credible main event star for them. Kind of a throwback to like uh, a Vader kind of figure who's just uh, he he's big and he's not cut, but but he's also not like just fat. He's uh, he's just this big kind of colossus of a guy, and uh, young and a tremendous upside. So I mean, I think that's a real good uh, pickup. And uh, you know, Ring of Honor uh, closing down. They they got um, a lot of good talent from there, there, and they've created this faction, uh, Honor No More, with a lot of former uh, Ring of Honor guys who have a lot of upside. So no shortage of of talent for sure uh, in the company. The the one thing um, that that's always been a bit of a criticism for for Impact, uh, and and again. The, the the product as far as what's in the ring and presented on TV is uh, eons better than it was I I'd say in in the Dixie Carter era, but one thing they've always struggled with is exactly like what are you what, you know what is the identity what is the signature 
And um, watching that show and some of the buildup for for the show, it still strikes me a lot as sort of like trying to do WWE uh, on the cheap, you know, and there's still very much of that. And uh, some of the promos, some of the angles uh, feel a little too much kind of like I'm trying to be make-believe pro wrestler and pro wrestling angles. I don't know. There's... um, a lack of sincerity in in some of it that, mm. that uh, 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 troubles me, um, but you know, I've, I'd, I'd say I'm optimi- optimistic, but but I don't know what if anything is on the horizon that is going to drastically uh, change their fortunes from where they are now. I mean, do, do you see anything that would give you optimism that a no. year from now, five years from now, <laughs> ten years from now, their audience is uh, significantly bigger than it is now? No, I don't. And and I think that they were hurt really badly, like like uh, in terms of their their uh, um, visibility and, and their identity by AEW because, you know, yeah. m- more than maybe any other company, because they had been sh- fighting for years to even especially from the beginning of, of them f- as being the spiritual successor of WCW. Like that was kind of the thing they had for better or worse, and I thought it was for worse, but AEW now has taken over that role and is hitting a home run with it, like doing it better than Impact ever did, you know, kind of setting themselves up as we are kind of like very the spiritual successor of WCW. So then if AEW is that, then what is Impact? You know, they've kind of lost their identity. And I and I feel like uh, they are what's what's probably awaiting that company is similar to what kind of happened with Ring of Honor, where they may, uh, you know, Anthem may just the way Sinclair did. Anthem may decide, you know, why do we still own this? What are we doing with this? What is this doing for us? You know, we could put something else in this time slot and get more than 50,000 people a week watching it. So, you know, they may wind up selling the brand and except I think. I almost feel like with them, it may not be even as much of an upside as what Ring of Honor had, where they got bought and now the brand is continuing to operate. I don't know if it's going to be so much that as just being kind of like selling the video library to somebody like maybe WWE or AEW. WWE would would jump at that. I would think even more so than Ring of Honor. Right. Uh, Yeah. Right. Because I I don't see AEW, you know, if they were to buy it, they're already running Ring of Honor as a brand. I can't imagine they would also run Impact. Right. That would be madness. So if they bought it, it again, it would it would again even them it would be for the video library and whatever intellectual property. And 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 I think WWE would do the very same thing. So it's that that I think is probably where it's headed. I, I don't know necessarily this is a good thing, but certainly Impact has been in, and we'll talk more about uh, for the Forbidden Door a little later, but they've certainly um, participated in that. And, and you know, the, the Ring of Honor Women's Champion mm-hmm. is an Impact wrestler right now, and, and we've seen, um, you know, NWA titles uh, defended and Impact wrestlers working in NWA shows. And Mickey we even James saw was in right, the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to make that, that point. Um, so, I, you know, I... I don't know how much that does to help their brand. I wonder, um, in, in as much as like it's sort of the chic thing to do, the whole forbidden door thing. Do you think WWE would have any interest in in some kind of talent exchange? You know, was was the Mickey James thing a one off deal, or can you see a situation where 
um, they they would feature some of their their talent on their show, maybe send some talent that they're not doing a whole lot with over to Impact. I don't know. You know, if anything, that has been the ultimate forbidden door, you know, because they yeah. they just still don't play well with others. And that, that Mickey James thing was so strange and out of the blue and unique and that they even announced her on TV as as the Impact Women's Champion. But I don't it, it if you've noticed now that was January. It didn't lead yeah, to anything nothing, else. Yeah. So there was and, a thought that it that yeah something would come out of it and nothing did. Right. No, nothing did. I, I almost felt like that was like an impulsive like you know stick it to AEW kind of thing and and maybe like get in the way of of the promotional cooperation that those two companies had going on for them but with no further plan beyond that you know yeah yeah but you know they are coming up on on 20 years and uh, again so, so much of that uh, unfortunately is not looked upon uh, real well uh, i'd say especially kind of that that middle part i mean you're really talking about um, and, and I don't mean necessarily to disparage uh, uh, her too much, but but that the Dixie Carter era, which was a lot of uh, impact, uh, I would I would say the worst of impact wrestling, TNA wrestling happened under her watch. Um, but there's also a lot of good during uh, that time. So I, I don't mean to um, not include that. I mean, uh, some of you could argue that that. You know, prime AJ Styles, some of the best work he ever did was in TNA and Impact, if only because he was a, a little younger and, and still more in his athletic prime. Uh, but I think especially if you look at the the first uh, four or five years or so, really kind of the Jeff Jarrett um, uh, era. And there was a, a, a lot wrong with Jeff Jarrett, uh, too. Uh, but I think in some ways he, he's underrated for uh, his vision for, for wrestling. And, um, you know, th- those early impact years really 2002 to 2000 i don't know six or seven there was some great stuff well i think for me nothing will ever top the cameo appearance by tony shivani that that was so surreal and weird (laughs) i mean i'm making a joke but it's like it's very emblematic of a lot of the like throw it against the wall and see what sticks kind of stuff that they were doing in those years, you know, the Vince Russo stuff and everything. Yeah, that, that, but there were, me. you know, I loved, you know, some all the Samoan Joe and Kurt Angle stuff. Yeah. Kurt Angle going to, T, to TNA was a, was very cool. And I, I mean, you know, Bobby Lashley made himself into a bigger star there. Also, that when he was feuding with Kurt Angle at that time, it was maybe about like four or five years ago. I would say that was maybe a little more than that. That was probably the best they were having the best matches in wrestling, those two guys at the time in, in TNA. So, I mean, things have happened. You mentioned AJ Styles. I mean, yeah, in the past few years, he's totally remade himself as a WWE guy. But really, I mean, for most of his career, TNA was like the company he would pro- he would have been most associated with. And, and to some fans still even to this day is. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point about Kurt Angle. I mean, here you have like this generational talent, Hall of Famer in anybody's book. And really, most of his career was spent in in TNA. You know, I think uh, his WWE run, uh, his first WWE run was only six years. years, Yeah. And then I think he spent, what, 10 or more in in, uh, in TNA Impact. So, um, yeah, and had tons of great matches. So uh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, wish the best. Happy anniversary in a couple months, all that. Um, uh, real quick, let's, let's, let's talk about uh, a Ring of Honor. And there's not a whole lot to go on. I mean, they really had one 
real Ring of Honor branded event that was over WrestleMania weekend uh, in in Dallas. We saw the return of Samoa Joe, uh, and, and then he went and won the the TV title. Um, and I guess we have kind of an idea of, of of what the roster sort of is, but also not really. And uh, very much the line between what is Ring of Honor and what is AEW is very much blurred. It reminds me a little bit of when WWE bought WCW and um, at, at first intended to run WCW as, you know, we'll brand some shows uh, WCW and we'll brand some shows WWE. And then clearly that kind of just kind of went away and it faded. Um, a, a few weeks into it, how do you feel about how this whole arrangement is is working out? Well, I definitely think it's way too early to tell. I, I You just really get the sense that uh, this is still very much in the planning, decision-making phase. You know, just now you can argue maybe they should have gotten that all out of the way before they made the announcement. <laughs> but that's kind of the nature of AEW now with these like weekly special announcements from, yeah. from Tony Khan. Uh, but I mean, that first show was a home run. I don't think there could be any doubt about it. They wound up having the the best match, arguably, arguably, but in a lot of people's minds, the best match of the entire WrestleMania weekend being the Briscoes and FTR uh, and uh, easily an all time tag team classic match. So, I mean, there it, it just the jury's out. You know, is it going to be something where we're going to just continue to see people like Deanna Parazzo just appear on AEW programming? Is it going to get its own show? I have a feeling, because there's been rumblings lately of, uh, you know, Tony Khan working on a streaming deal, possibly with HBO Max or somebody else. HBO Max seems likely because they own, you know, they own TNT and TBS, that maybe it's dependent on that, because it could be that they're waiting to see what happens with that deal. So that way, you know, if AEW gets on HBO Max and gets their own channel on there the same way that WWE is on Peacock, then there's going to be the need for a lot of content, you know, beyond. They're going to want to put a lot more than just here's this week's Dynamite and Rampage on there. And to have the Ring of Honor uh, library would be a major, a major asset for that kind of a platform. So I almost feel like they jumped the gun a little bit. Like maybe they should have tried to iron out both deals at the same time. Yeah. It does feel a little bit in limbo, but I feel like something is coming. Definitely. It's just going to, it's just, we're waiting for it. Yeah. I mean, they, I I would think for Ring of Honor to continue to exist as its own brand. And Tony Khan has sort of suggested that is the plan that it's not just, you know, defend Ring of Honor championships on AWTV, which is basically what we've seen the last few weeks. Uh, they'll they'll need their own show, whatever that is, and and I don't know where that exists. You know, is it on YouTube? Is it does it take the place of uh, one of the dark shows um, or uh, like you said, HBO Max? Uh, but it, yeah, it's interesting that that uh, Ring of Honor and Impact both came up the same year, both hitting that twenty year mark um, this year, and both kind of sort of still around, <laughs> but but also clearly not what they were even a, a few years ago. Um, so a, a little bit of a bummer. Um, uh, what have you thought of, of Joe on, uh, on ring of honor slash AEW? Well, I mean, it, it's better than what he was doing. I mean, you got to at yeah. least say that where he was kind of just, uh, you, you could just tell that he was out of step with where NXT was heading. I mean, that was such a foreboding. I mean, I know they were talking about injuries and whatever, but when they just abruptly took the title off of him, 
right. right as they were relaunching the brand, you could sort of see the writing on the wall. So, I mean, you know, he, he's where he belongs for sure. in in my mind, in the wrestling landscape, and there's so many potential dream matches and things for him that like, I, I loved the match with Minoru Suzuki and, you know, things like that. He, he, he's in a place where I think he's, going to be used better. I thought that he was used. There were times in WWE where he was used pretty well, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. I, from I like I lo- I liked his um feud with Brock Lesnar and things like that, but but for a lot of it, it there was injury. They had him as an announcer and then you heard that it was kind of one of those deals where he's ready to go and they won't let him, you know, get right. in the ring and that kind of thing. So, you know, I I feel like it's better for him. I, I just think uh, it it's taken a little time for him to kind of find his niche. Like eventually, I, I don't know if they're ever eventually planning to shift him over to the actual AEW roster or if he's just going to be a Ring of Honor guy. But I'd love to see him in that mix, too, at some point. You know, where there's so many potential matchups with AEW guys. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of neat that because they own Ring of Honor and can kind of do what they want with them, you can, uh, you know, Ring of Honor's, uh, or uh, Samojo's contract, I believe, is with AEW, but right. they can feature him in Ring of, in Ring of Honor. They could do that, I, I assume, with a lot of guys. You know, they're doing that with uh, Jay Lethal, who signed with AEW some months back, um, and, and you know, was kind of spinning, spinning his wheels there now, and now gets to be kind of a top guy in their Ring of Honor. So that's kind of cool. I mean, you could have CM Punk make a cameo in, in Ring of Honor, so there's certainly a lot of opportunities for that. But I do think, like, uh, to, to really keep it going as its own thing, at some point they have to have some distance. Um, and, right. Uh, but I, I get that, like, you know, the big platform is AEW, and it is an opportunity to uh, promote Ring of Honor. So do some of that. Um, I guess that uh, makes sense. Uh, what, as you touched on, uh, Tony Khan's uh, latest earth-shattering uh, announcement – uh, well, first, let me ask you uh, about this. Do you think he's going to the well too many times with this? Yes, stuff? <laughs> yes, yes, right? yes yeah. I do. And and it's it, it is like the classic pitfall, right? And and uh, you know, back to Dixie Carter. This was a classic Dixie Carter thing. I mean, every, every week there was this earth-shattering announcement, and at some point it gets to be like, eh, really? That's what it was. And it felt a little bit like that, and not not to minimize the significance of a a co-branded New Japan AEW show, but. You know, it's it, it's a show. <laughs> well, he he's adopted this as his gimmick, and he seems to really be leaning into it. Like he'll, it's almost like a tongue in cheek thing at this point. Like I really think everybody made so much of that tweet that he made a few weeks ago, where he was accusing all the AEW right. critics of being bots. I really believe that that was just a very clumsy – like I, I think that that Tony Khan needs some media training for sure because yep. I think what he was doing there went over a lot of people's heads, not because people are dumb but because it was very clumsily done. And I think he was trying to be cute and he was trying to promote the show because he had a, tw- a follow-up tweet you know, right below it that said, oh, by the way, check out you know whatever match this is at tonight's Dynamite or whatever it was that he was promoting – and I think that's all it was. He was trying to draw attention with this absurd kind of tweet just to get people to watch the show. But it didn't come across that way. It came across like that he's nuts, you know. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, but but I think that's part of this thing he's leaned into now of like, 
I'm the guy that like makes these weird promotional announcements. Like, did you even notice when they did the New Japan thing, you know, and and of course the segment got hijacked by Adam Cole and and um, then you had Tony Khan, who should never be put in a position to have to sell anything where he is. And, and I mean, sell in the wrestling sense where he's trying to act like all scared and nervous. You know, did mm-hmm. you catch that? Because yeah. there was like, uh, you know, kind of uh, I think it was when Jay White came out. Right. And um, it was very awkward and forced and a little embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the, the last podcast coming after uh, WrestleMania, uh, we talked a bit about how WrestleMania felt like kind of a, of a momentum shift um, uh, in, in that war, if, if you want to call it that. And it, it does feel like that's continued and that in some ways AEW hasn't done itself a whole lot of favors with some of the stuff. Um, and I think part of it is um, that hangman page as talented as he is um i I don't think is kind of setting the world on fire not the most kind of dynamic guy uh in the world um i i i wonder if that belt's coming off of him sooner than later uh and over in wwe um you've got cody uh as ostensibly now the top baby face in, in all of wwe roman doing uh great work and and some other stuff they've got going on does it feel like you know, and maybe I'm making too much of it, uh, but but does it? Do you get a sense that that yeah, things are are kind of swaying in WWE's favor in these last few weeks? I don't know if I get that sense. I definitely get the sense that WWE it maybe is waking up a little bit, mm-hmm. but I still think AW is strong. I still say that Dynamite, for my money, is the most entertaining weekly show in wrestling. Um, I'm loving the Cody stuff in WWE. I always love the Roman Reigns stuff. Um, and I do think that there's been improvement, but I don't think that AEW is, is like kind of, I don't know, like slipping or losing their momentum. I, I just think maybe it's becoming a little bit more of an interesting race now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about WWE now, kind of the, the, the post WrestleMania, uh, reset and we've got a pay-per-view coming up and I guess about a week. Um, it's still not super clear what the main event is, you know, after kind of that high of, of beating, uh, Brock Lesnar and kind of putting that to rest. Uh, it's not real clear what, what Roman Reigns direction is. He's sort of been twiddling his thumbs. Um, they, they teased maybe something with Nakamura, and I, I don't know if that's the main the main event of Backlash. It would seem sort of out of nowhere that Nakamura would be headlining a, a show. Certainly not a stranger to to main event and even uh, a world title, uh, the world title picture, but not in a long time. I don't know if it's Drew McIntyre. You know, they've kind of been building him up. Uh, do you have any thought and every any preference where do they go with with Roman here after WrestleMania? Well, I think the the issue that they have to struggle with with Roman Reigns now is um, they obviously and with good reason, they want him to continue, excuse me, to continue on top for a long time, meaning as champion. Like, I don't think there's any intention of taking that off of him anytime soon. So you've got the situation where right now the really big picture matches down the road that they're looking at is Cody Rhodes and The Rock as as the big one. And but the question is, then you have to get there. So you don't want to just blow it right away. And obviously, that's not even an option with The Rock, but you don't want to blow it right away with Cody. So you have to pace things 
to get Roman to those two big feuds and matches. But the problem is the way it is with, you know, there's got to be like a big title defense every month. So I think, and I don't, I don't think this is a bad thing. I think the mode for Roman Reigns right now, other than those two matches should be kind of getting fed these baby faces to run through and steamroll over and make himself that much stronger and I think people like, and, and you know, and 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 what you need to do because of that is build up some of the other right. roster matches and and mid card stuff to kind of boost him up because you don't want to. And I'm thinking like people like Drew McIntyre, people like Shinsuke Nakamura, like you mentioned, those kind of people, because you don't want to just throw these these huge names at him, people that you know would have a very good chance in fans eyes of beating him and then just have him run through all those people because then you're just wasting everybody. So I really think this has to be where you sort of like rein him, pardon the expression, rein him in just a little bit and let him go strongly over some of these baby faces that are like just a notch below him. I think that's where he's got to be for, for the next few months. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, I think we've talked about this before. It sort of reminds me, and this is an odd comparison, of uh, the Bret Hart Patriot uh, storyline uh, oh, yes. from 25 years ago. And, and again, it was kind of out of the blue, but Bret was kind of in between big programs, and they just wanted to sort of like cement him that he's uh, the top guy and heel, and we need to get some get him some wins. And so that, that program served its purpose just fine. Um, and uh, they sort of did that even with, with Roman uh, uh, last year in between the big pay-per-views. And now, you know, it, it's I, I guess the next big one for them would be Money in the Bank is, is in a stadium. So this year it's going to be a, a big deal. I think that's just next month. But yeah, uh, this does feel like kind of month that they, they could kind of take off. I actually think Nakamura is a really good idea, you know, and it's a way, you know, he lost his tag team partner when Boogs went down with that injury. Um, he's a guy who he was a Royal Rumble winner, a guy who headlined WrestleMania in a world title match. At, at one time, um, you know, they had big, big plans uh, for him. And I think he, he's got a little heat uh, on him because that tag team with Boogs uh, was was getting pretty popular. The act was working. Uh, it's probably as good a time as any to sort of remind fans that um, this guy can really go. And um, uh, I, I don't know how you do that, but but, I you know. I guess you have a week to do it, you know, uh, <laughs> if that's the plan. And I'd actually rather see that over uh, uh, McIntyre because to me, McIntyre is kind of a more established guy and a bigger deal match. Maybe that's yeah. something you could do at a uh, a Money in the Bank or maybe even a SummerSlam. Well, you um, know, um, I had a couple of thoughts with the with what you could also do with Roman because I think yes, I do think that it would be a good opportunity because people have long talked about elevating Nakamura again, and it gives you a good excuse to do that because you need somebody there. But another thing I think they could do, and obviously you don't want to overdo this, but but you could get one or two big main events out of, you know, it doesn't even have to be a title defense. Do a big six-man with the Usos, where it's Mm -hmm. Roman and the Usos, especially if you unify the tag belts. You can do Roman and the Usos against any three guys you want to throw at them and that, you know, it maybe it's like RK bro and like one other person or whatever, whatever you want to do. And you've got a couple of big main events there for shows and you don't have to worry about challenges for Roman Reigns. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. And he can, and he can make him look strong and, 
Um, you know, it's also an opportunity to to have him uh, lose without losing. I mean, he wouldn't take a pinfall in there, but you could you could have Babyface go over uh, on that team. So uh, absolutely. Um, as you know, you mentioned the Rock and Roman Reigns, and and for a while. I mean, it, it was clear that that was where, where fans wanted everything to go, but it wasn't so clear if that's where WWE was going. Did you see the thing that they did on, on Young Rock? Uh, with uh, uh, so, so it, I Yes, mean, like, yes, that, I did. I did. That, that was huge. I mean, that, like yeah. my eyes jumped out of my, my head when I saw that. I was like, wow, they're kind of acknowledging that this is a direction, uh, WrestleMania. And then beyond that, have you watched the, um, the, the Evil series that, that they've done uh, yes. on, on Peacock? And, and they had a whole episode on, on Roman Reigns and um, that was sort of the conclusion of the whole thing, that this is the match that they're building to. So clearly that is still very much in the works, that that the uh, Dwayne Johnson with his production company would acknowledge it on his show, shows that to some extent he's on board. Um, and, and clearly that's where they're going. What does that mean with Cody? I mean, do you think, is, is that SummerSlam, I, I guess, Cody and, and Roman? And if it is, does it feel... Uh, is that is that a good timing? Um, you know, that that many months after Cody's debut, uh, do you strike while the iron's hot? Cody's really over. Get that main event uh, in the ring sooner um, than than later. But if you do, does Cody beat Roman Reigns at SummerSlam? So I've given this some thought, believe it or not. <laughs> and I I do think SummerSlam would be a decent time to do it. It's not it's not that close. It gives you some time. It gives you the whole spring. You know, half the spring and the whole summer. To build if you wanted to. I mean, you notice like Cody keeps talking about the title, but he's never mentioned Roman by name one time. And that's very, um, you know, telling that that that's been handled that way. But I think there's two things that could happen here. So we've talked about this, you and I, and I really I've said it before, but I think if you do Roman and rock that Roman should win that match. So I don't see rock getting the title from Roman or beating him for the title. Um, however, I could see Cody doing it. So there's two things that I think they could do here. They could either have Cody win it, you know, at SummerSlam or whenever. And then at some point between SummerSlam and WrestleMania or whenever, you know, he loses it back to Roman because with Cody, you you know, the, the whole thing is the chase to win it, you know, which his father never did. So I, I don't necessarily think he needs to become like a long reigning champion necessarily. Or if you do want to anoint him as like the baby face, you know, John Cena face of the company champion guy, if you do want to do that. Um, and again, I say this cautiously. I feel like I'm going to have tomatoes thrown at me when people hear this. <laughs> but you could potentially look Roman Reigns versus The Rock is such a big deal. And Roman is so over and such a colossal heel that you may not even need the title. Even yeah, if he's yeah. if he's lost the title to Cody Rhodes, even and Cody keeps it, you could still do the match. You could even do a co-main event at WrestleMania right. where it's like Cody defends against whoever and The Rock versus Roman Reigns as a separate deal, almost like The Rock versus Hogan was, where it wasn't you know there yeah. was it wasn't a title thing, but in some ways it was bigger than the title. Mm -hmm. You know, you could yeah, do and, that. And in a way, it almost adds intrigue because um, if a title is not on the line, then that really does kind of, you know, throw it up in the air what the mm -hmm. finish could be. Because you could have The Rock beat, if, you know, The Rock's not going to be your touring world champion, right? Um, right. And, and so that would sort of suggest that he's not winning. 
Um, but if there's no title on the line, yeah, you could have The Rock beat Roman Reigns. Maybe. And you know what? You know what? And even a better way to tie it all together, if that is the decision that they're making, let's say, where Rock, uh, where Roman is going to drop the title to Rhodes and then wind up feuding with The Rock in a non-title way, what if you do the big SummerSlam match, Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes, The Rock shows up out of the blue mm. and causes Roman Reigns to lose the title to Cody Rhodes. Now you've got instant heat and you've got an understanding of, okay, Roman's not the champion anymore. And the reason he's not the champion anymore is the rock. You know, you know what I mean? And so you can do that match without a title involved. But you got a lot of time to kill between yes, SummerSlam and, and WrestleMania. Oh, well, well, but The Rock is like that. He's you know you know he can pop up somewhere, yeah. do something, and then not show up again for months. And I don't think people would have an issue with that. You just you, know, you just have Roman calling him out constantly. You know after that. Yeah, it, it's sort of the the conundrum of like good booking is. Uh, with somebody like Roman Reigns, who hasn't lost a match now in, in I don't know how many years and has been booked so strong, uh, this is sort of like what they had going with, with Brock Lesnar for a while. It's like, well, when you finally beat this guy, you better make sure it's a real big deal. Um, because and, and, and the other part of it is that when, when you have somebody who's that dominant, uh, you know, you clean out the division and you sort of start running out of matches. And, and that's another kind of issue I think they're running out uh, running into. Um, with Roman Reigns. The, the other thing that is kind of an X factor here is uh, the fact that he's got two world titles and really Cody's been talking about one of them. And that's the, the WWE championship. That's the one that, you know, was on his dad's dresser and all that stuff. So can, can you do a situation where only that title's on the line and, and Cody beats him for that? Roman keeps the SmackDown title. You separate the world titles again. Yeah, I guess they could potentially do that, but I mean, you, it depends on what their thinking is if they want to keep the belts unified or not. Because if you keep them unified, at least for the foreseeable future, then really, honestly, the idea is that since this is unified with the WWE title, that it, it you know it's the top championship in the company. It's kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if they would be splitting hairs to that degree or not. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a sense of, of what the plan is here? I mean, now they're unifying the tag titles, uh, the tag title. Uh, might got to get my PWI uh, uh, style correct. The well, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you, can, you can say titles. It's tag belts. It's, like, no, you can say titles because it's more than one tag right. title. It it's Raw Smack, and SmackDown. Smack yeah, you're yeah. correct. You are. Uh, <laughs> so they're doing that. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a plan for the, the IC and US titles uh, as well or the Women's Championship. So... Do, do you sense that they are, in fact, in sort of consolidation mode, or is this just about putting heat on um, what do they call them? I, I already forgot them. The, the, the bloodline. Blood yes. Yeah, that's what I think it is. I think that this is a tool to kind of build up the bloodline, uh, kind of similar to how you know they've done with factions in the past, like the Four Horsemen, where they have all the gold, you know, that kind of thing, and it just makes them stronger. You know, the the Usos are the undisputed. WWE tag team champions and Roman Reigns is the undisputed WWE, you know, universal champion, heavyweight champion, whatever you want to call him. And, and so I don't think that carries over into like the women's title or the, you know, or the IC and us title. Although, I mean, people have, there have been people who have theorized that if they wanted to add a female member to the bloodline, 
that they could add Naomi because of her connection to the Usos. And if if they ever wanted to do that, maybe she could become the unified women's champion. But I mean, I, I just don't see even the slightest whiff of them wanting to do anything like that. So no, I guess Tamina also. I mean, she, does she have some some blood even. there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, right. you're right. That's true. They could they could uh, they could stretch it in that way if they wanted to. I just I mean I I think having uh, a- adding another member in general would be a pretty cool idea. It's just who it would be. You know, it, it would be kind of cool to expand the group, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but, but I mean, you'd have to redesign the T-shirts, I guess. But uh, <laughs> other than that, uh, not a bad idea. All right, Brian, this was fun. Uh, as always, I've uh, been talking about an hour here, and uh, we covered uh, a lot of ground. Uh, yeah. what, uh, why don't you tell everybody about uh, your book, which, by the way, I am awaiting. Uh, I placed my order last week. And, oh, thank uh, you. Hopefully it comes to the house before long. And then yeah. I'm going to send it over to you to, to sign and then send it back to me. Okay, I'd be happy to. No, the the demand's been insane. It's it's uh, so the the book for if we haven't talked about it ad nauseum by now, it's called Blood and Fire: The Unbelievable Real Life Story of Wrestling's Original Sheik, and it's a biography of the original Sheik Ed Farhat. Um, it went on sale April twelfth, but uh, Amazon has had a very hard time hanging on to inventory for whatever reason. And I, I guess part of it is the demand was greater than they thought, That's which is great. good. But part of it, I think, is also supply chain issues and things like that. So what the long story short is, if people want to get the PDF, the, you know, the Kindle version, that's actually very easy. That's never going to sell out because it's a digital file. So you can get it. Uh, you can get that on Amazon or anywhere. Um, if you're looking for a physical copy, it's a little tougher right now. So I know, for example, barnesandnoble.com just got in some inventory of physical books. So that would be a good way to do it. You can go to barnesandnoble.com um, I, to get it. I've also mentioned on my own podcast too, I guess I'll mention it here, that I am selling my own signed copies of the book. Um, if, if people are interested in that, you know, go, getting them from me that way, a signed copy, um, they can email me at Solomon at yahoo.com. Um, but I'm, I'm awaiting more inventory myself. Even my own copies are out of stock right now, but I'm going to be getting more in. So, uh, those are the best ways right now to get it. That's a good problem to have. It uh, is. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what again is the name of the podcast? So, so uh, people could find it. So the podcast is shut up and wrestle and it's part of the Arcadian Vanguard network. Uh, just did episode number three. 13 now and and i've 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 had i did one with kevin which hasn't uh, aired yet and i did one with reg which hasn't aired yet so i've got to do one with you al we've got to make <laughs> yeah. this we've got to make this ultimate warrior one a reality it's just I, i'm gonna ask you it's just i feel like you must you're, you're sick of talking to me an hour a week as it is <laughs> you know we'll no, but we will do ours we'll do it very soon actually yeah i, I don't want to like have too many pwi people all together sure. Yeah, to spread yeah. it out now, a little. My my uh, my family's sick of uh, talking wrestling with me, so uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to talk wrestling with somebody who knows they're wrestling. Uh, all right, Brian, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll do it again uh, real soon. Right now, let's listen to the FTW champion star uh, of AEW. It's absolute Ricky Starks. In some ways, all the members of, of Team Taz couldn't be more different in in terms of, of size and background and wrestling style. Um, but what, what do you see as the common thread that runs through all of you? I think 
for all of us included is the fact that we all have a we're very ambitious and and driven people um that goes from hook that goes to hobbs that goes to me uh i, I think we all have a, a that common thread in addition to we really don't take any shit from anyone um i know that in each member there's uh, a difference of experience in wrestling and you know usually when that happens that you have some guys who are a little bit more timid and trepidatious with uh, things they say or how they move backstage with other people but you don't really see that out of us three and i i think that's there's freedom in that of not worrying about what other people think or care uh and it's just it's honestly to me it's really cool i think if i had to just lay it down i think it's just three guys who who are hard workers they're dedicated to the craft and they don't take any shit point blank yeah ftw right i mean i guess that's what what it's all about yeah right uh, what when uh, i i've heard you talk about that belt and uh you know i don't know if it's it's recognized as a legitimate title but clearly it's very legitimate to you and and I, i've heard you really put it over as sort of sacred can can you talk about you know why why you feel that way and what that title means to you from from your days watching taz and sabu defended in ecw yeah i i think one coming into AEW and um, winning the title was a big deal because I'm a big, big person on history and um, making sure that things from the past isn't forgotten because when you're forgotten, that's true death, right? So I always think of things in that sense. Uh, I'll bet it'd be a, a bit morbid, but I think it's cool to have a piece of history like that uh, on television and to carry it. That is the original title from 1998. So that thing... Uh, has seen so much. Um, I would even aching it to how the smoking skull title, you know, like imagine mm -hmm. if you had that title, the original one, you would, you would cherish that and, and honor that with everything because of the history that it has. And I'm not saying they're on the same level, but I'm just saying in terms of having such a piece of uh, history like that is in insane. And so for me, I think it's more important to, have this title and represent it in the best way that I can and do with it what I can. And I know that it won't be perfect. And I know that there's things outside of my control um, that I, I, I just have to deal with. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, I want to make sure that one, I do the best that I can with the title and represent it and make sure that it has some type of legitimacy, regardless if it's recognized or not. I get that so much. You know, you know, you have a, a title that isn't recognized by the company and this and that. Sure. I, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I don't care to me. It's important to represent this title and its legacy to the utmost that I can. It wasn't done by the previous champion. And I want to make sure when I won it, I made a promise to myself that I would make sure that no matter what I would ride all the way to the end with it. And then whatever happens at the end of my title reign, uh, I would hope that it goes down as someone that actually cared and put in the work for it and dealt with it the best that he could with what he was given. Yeah. So when you won that title, I think some people are surprised because you weren't necessarily the kind of wrestler that, that people would associate with, with that kind of, uh, you know, FTW. 
and certainly folks that that followed you from before AW. So a guy who was a pretty boy and very suave. Yeah. Uh, so again, not the kind of person you'd associate with FTW. Did did um did, did that kind of create a chip on your shoulder to show that folks that that you know I'm I'm every bit as tough as uh, Taz or Sabu or, or Cage in, in holding this title? You know, I, I I thought about it before, and it, it has come up to me. But I don't think I carry it as a chip on my shoulder because um, I'm always going to be judged in some type of way, whether it's I'm a little bit too effeminate or, you know, I'm too I'm too cocky, I'm too much of a pretty boy, and this is a rugged title and it doesn't really fit. At the end of the day, people don't know my history and where I've come from and the things that I've had to, to experience. And that's fine because it, to me, it's kind of corny when you have to tell people like I've done this just to prove a point to them and change their opinion. Right. So I feel like regardless of my size or the way that I act, I can whoop anyone's ass. I really do believe that in deep down in my heart. I know that I can. And I've been uh, in quite a bit of, fights in school and, and all throughout that, that I never really let it be an issue for me. I am a very hot tempered person who can go from zero to a hundred really quick. And that may not come through initially when you see me and I'm out there with poise and, and suave and this and that, and you go, Oh, Taz was a little bit more rugged. Sure. He was, but guess what? I can be rugged too. And I can dress to the nines and I can do all this stuff. It just, it, people aren't used to it. That's, point blank people aren't used to seeing someone like me and also being in the position that i'm in so i don't really think of it as a chip on my shoulder i, I find it funny um and at the end of the day i'm still gonna be ftw champion regardless and even when i'm not dude even when i'm not ftw champion i'm still gonna be the same guy so uh, you know i, I kind of tune all that stuff out yeah yeah. And how much has Taz inspired you, you know, either since winning the title or, or even uh, just as a fan and looking to get into the business? Was he a guy you, you look to and, and what what traits about him have, have you looked to emulate? Taz is really great when it comes to business side. Obviously, he's great when it comes to some of the stuff in, in the ring. So I, I try to pick his brain when I can. The good the relationship that me and him have is that I don't necessarily always have to go to him and ask him for advice. There's times where he'll come to me and he uh, is, you know, letting me know, like, well, I think, you know, keep this in mind or do this or do that. So it's cool to have that relationship uh, where everyone else here has somebody, you know, they have, they seemingly have somebody on their side. Darby has Sting, you know, um, Danielson has his crew and, you know, stuff like that. So there's times where I was like, well, who do, you know, who do I have? And I, I have Taz in that regard and I'm glad to have that. And I definitely think he's helped me out when it comes to uh, my matches and things of that nature. And then when it came to the promos, we, we collaborated quite a bit. I don't think people realize that. So I, I like that about Taz, man. Like he doesn't try to, he sees the positives and he tries to accentuate the positives with me. There are bad things that I do that he nips in the bud and I'd never do it again. So the relationship is really good, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. Does it create any kind of issues or, or tension that now that that his son is in the same stable? Because you talk about somebody having your back and being there for you as kind of a mentor. Um, and, and Taz is, is that for you, but, but I, you can never compete with his own kid. Right. I mean, that's, that's always going to be, I would think his, his top uh, priority. Um, so do, do you just accept that and, and realize that your role is, is different? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's his kid. And, you know, he's going to do the most he can for his kid. And I, I get that, you know, to the, the, the fullest, uh, I'm not saying that me and Taz have the same relationship as him and hook or, um, I'm not saying that we're super, super close, but I think that he tries to spread as much of his, his knowledge as he can. And of course, like his focus is going to be on his kid and rightfully so, but I don't ever take it as a slight to me or get jealous or envious about it because my philosophy in life is like, whatever is for me is for me. Like, this is my lane that I'm driving in. Luke is driving in his own lane. And so to cross over the solid lines is a big no-no. You know, you can't, you can't worry about what, what's happening over there. So yeah. I, I like it. It's cool to see a father and son. I, I think it's awesome that they get to work together. Uh, I couldn't imagine what that would be like with me and my mom. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it is cool. I, I really do enjoy watching it and seeing how he takes care of him in terms of making sure that he's, um, given the, the best advice, taking care of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about, uh, your injury some months back. I mean, you came in here with, with a lot of momentum and then obviously derailed some, um, by, by this pretty scary uh, injury. And I saw in the, um, uh, Cody's reality show where, where some of that was, was detailed. Um, d- d- you know, now back in the ring, um, do you feel like you've got to make up for lost time that you do have to make up for some of the momentum um, that you missed or did it end up kind of being a blessing in disguise in that you, it, it let you develop this, this other side behind the mic? Oh man, that's a great question because I do feel like when I look at my career before the injury, I, I do feel like I had a huge upside and I think that was the perfect opportunity for me to really go full force before, you know, we have the influx of, of the other names come in. And so sometimes I do feel like maybe I have missed my time and that's a, a, a personal battle that I have. And, you know, some people probably tell me, well, you're still young and all this other bullshit, but um, I do feel like I have to make up for missed time. And I do feel like uh, I'm a bit, you know, I, I'm, I'm lacking. Um, I'm behind a bit. And so, there's days where I'm wanting to be eager and go full force and, you know, try to play catch up. And then there's other days where I'm just like, I don't know, what am I to do? You know? So mm-hmm. I think the stuff behind the microphone and you see me from NWA, I'm not saying that I was already there, but I don't think that was ever an area that I needed severe improvement on to be straight up with you. Uh, I felt like, my promo stuff was was pretty good. And of course, it can always be better. I'm not saying that it couldn't, but you know, if you say, well, you know, you, you have to really, really, really improve this area, like it was bad, I don't think I was like that. It right. was cool to be behind the, the mic with Rampage and commentary and stuff like that and, and be a manager and all that, but you gotta realize too, I was going crazy because I couldn't wrestle. So uh, I'm a very there's duality in me and I see it from both sides, the 
the practical, optimistic side, and then the selfish side of a wrestler. So it's still a tough battle, and I'm still trying to work through it, but I'm hoping that this is the year that I can make stuff happen. And this is the one thing you hear about AW is that it's getting really crowded, right? And crowded with really recognizable, famous wrestlers uh, who who come into AW already with that exposure and that uh, national, international reputation. Uh, so again, it's discouraging to, to figure out, well, how do I fit in here with a CM Punk and with a Brian Danielson and with an Adam Cole and and so, so on and so forth? Yeah, it's extremely discouraging, but I kind of like that pressure because to me to me i can you know and screw it, i'm gonna say it straight up i can run with those guys i can be at the top of those guys i'm on the same level as those dudes and i know that in my heart that i am and sometimes i'm having to play catch up with my momentum and pick up where i left off and that's fine and then other days i'm, I'm looking around I'm just like man this is this all changed so quick and I need to really figure out where, where to jump in at. Um, but you know, I don't want this to seem like I'm not appreciative or anything, but these are just giving you a bit more insight into me personally that I'm trying to uh, figure out. And I see all the positive support online and, and things of that nature. People want to see me more and it's great. And I really do take it to heart and get emotional over it. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you can bring in Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole. You can bring in Roman Reigns, all of that. The, the thing that I want is the opportunity to be in there and say, hey, look, you may not think of me and you may not think much of me right now, but after the match, I'm sure you will. It isn't just the, the, the hot, popular groups of people at AEW that you want to surround yourself with. Look at the underutilized and and undiscovered talent on the roster and go from there yeah yeah you dropped a bombshell there with the roman range joining uh aw and i'm gonna report that uh get that out on Twitter. yeah first you heard it first y'all <laughs> yeah. um let, let me ask you what nwa as i said i i was a big fan still i probably don't watch as much as as before but but certainly um, I don't know if it's the heyday, but but when when you were uh, when you won the title, uh, all that in the early days of power, it was such a breath of fresh air and so different than anything we were seeing um, uh, anywhere else. How much of a boost did did that give you? I mean, do you feel like you're still kind of like reaping the rewards of the exposure you got on that show uh, a couple of years ago? You know, I I re- I guess I underestimated the type of view I had on there. I really didn't think people knew much of me. I still kind of don't. Um, but there's times where I meet people such as yourself and other people who go, Oh, I remember your days from NWA power and you cut that promo and this and that. I go, damn, that really, people were really watching. So it's cool to hear. I, I still don't think it's kind of set in for me because I'm still in the mindset that I'm not very well known and I'm not a guy that people know of. Uh, and especially after the injury too, I kind of went back to that and in my head, you had to start over as if I was still in the Indies. So it's really cool to have that. I'm glad that I did the the NWA stuff. I thought it was a great launching pad for me, which I kind of had anticipated from the get-go. And also, like, I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was fun. And it was great to be there. Obviously, I knew I had a ceiling there. And I, I love the fact that it was the first introduction to Ricky Starks that people like enjoyed yeah 
Yeah. Um, so uh, to wrap up here, uh, again, looking at, at at Team Taz, do you see uh, uh, other wrestlers on the AW roster that you think make a good fit in Team Taz? Would you rather keep it as it is, a very exclusive, small group of, of wrestlers who you know, are, are like-minded um, or again, or, or, or are there candidates out there? I mean, if I had to pick anyone to be in team Taz, it'd probably be Sasha Banks. Uh, <laughs> Breaking more Banks. news. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I think for right now, I like it how it is. I like the fact that it's just this, this small group. I don't want to overpopulate it. And then it becomes something boring and, you know, just corny, most importantly. I just don't want it to get to that. But, um, yeah, I think for right now, it's good how we have it. We we all seemingly have found our groove a bit, uh, and this is the best version of Team Taz in my my head by far. Yeah, yeah. Well, one last thing, because uh, I'm remembering that, that, that Hobbs mentioned it. He talked about how um, you, you, you sometimes um, – uh, get irritated or, or defensive. These are my words. I forget exactly what he said when comparisons are made to the rock. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and you certainly hear them and, and, and it's not that much of a reach. Uh, do, does that bother you? I mean, in some ways, I guess you could take it as a huge compliment. Right. But I guess I also understand being mindful of like not wanting to come off as an imitation or anything like that. Well, the only thing that bothers me is when people try to say that I'm actually actively mocking or, you know, copying the rock with the way I dress and all this other dumb shit. It does piss me off because I'm not, I've never gone into wrestling trying to copy the rock. I've never studied the rocks promos to do exactly how he does everything that I do. It comes from my head. It comes from how I feel and how I want to look. Uh, so when I hear people say that and discredit my originality, it does bother me a bit. Um, I think the issue is that some people, even outside of wrestling fans, they're so close-minded that they can't understand, like, uh, there's individuality in certain people. And because of the way that I dress, they aching it to how The Rock used to dress. It's like, y'all, The Rock, the Rock isn't the only guy that knows how to dress. Like, y'all are <laughs> just so used to people in basketball shorts and their own merchandise shirt that you can't fathom somebody coming on screen and dressing in a turtleneck and a nice slacks or, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's the most bizarre thing. I don't mind the comparison. It's just when people say verbatim, yeah, he's just stealing the rock. If you want to see about who's stealing the rock, maybe you should look at some other promotions and go from there. Cause mm-hmm. I have never sat up here and tried to, to basically Bite off the rock style of anything. I am who I am, uh, and and so that's the only thing I really get irked about is when yeah. people try to discredit me in my my own way. But uh, in terms of comparison, that uh, you know, looks wise, I actually don't mind. Me and the Rock are both handsome individuals, <laughs> uh, and you can't say that a lot for some of the fans that try to talk trash about us. So. Yeah, yeah, I gig because I guess in a roundabout way it is a compliment. What they're saying is that you you remind them of a really good looking guy with really amazing uh mic skills and uh, a good fashion sense, you know. All those things are good. Yeah. And just yeah, and just to clarify, because I already know this is gonna be taken out of context. It's not that I don't like being compared to the rock. It's just when people say that I am literally stealing from the rock in terms right. of you, promo style or dress. Yeah. That's what I have an issue with. 
Right. You you don't want to be called an imitation or or uh, yeah or or that that you're not original and you're actively trying to rip a guy off. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ricky. Well, thank you so much for doing this uh, again. Big fan of your work. Thanks for taking the time. Of course. Take care. Thank you.